Welcome to my super type A attempt at being Zen, the podcast. My name is Risha York, and I will be your host. If you are overworked, overtired, overstretched, overwhelmed, just over it, you are in the right place. We like to say we are currently working towards Zen-ish. I'm thrilled that you've joined us. Let's see who will be supporting us on our path to Zen today. Hello and welcome to my super type A attempt at being Zen the podcast. I'm delighted to introduce you to Robin Simpkins, who's decided to join us today. Welcome, Robin. Oh, thank you. Thank you very so much. Happy to have you. Uh, please do introduce yourself. Tell us, tell us why you've joined us here today and what you do. Uh, absolutely. So uh, Robin Simpkins, um, I am currently a director um, over a services improvement department in an IT company. And um, I have been a business strategist for over about 12 years. Um, I've got a lot of experience in leadership, project management, continuous improvement, um, driving business transformation with a lot of advanced cutting edge technologies. Um, and I also do a lot of development of strategic programs in processes uh, and help corporations drive to their services strategy. And that's a lot. That is uh, a lot. To, <laughs> you yeah. do a lot of well, things. How are you doing all this stuff, Robin? Seriously. It's, it's, it's uh, quite, uh, quite hilarious uh, because that is my functional focus. Outside of that, I also am very active in nonprofit um, in, in the community. Um, and, uh, and so I've, I've joined a few different nonprofit boards uh, and I also volunteer. So it's, it's quite a bit uh, to wrap your arms around. Honestly, where do you find the time? I don't. <laughs> I don't. And and that's that's kind of uh, it, it's kind of something that's uh, reoccurring for me because I get burned out a lot. And so maybe that's why we're here having this conversation today. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> Which leads me actually to my first question. Have you ever encountered burnout in an organization? And what do you think triggered it? How do you deal with this? Yeah, I think so. I, I think one of the things that I, when I think about burnout, I, I really, for me, like want to take a step back and, and say like, number one, what is it? Yes. Um, because there's such a significant difference between stress and burnout. Yes. Um, and because stress is something that we sometimes feel in our jobs day to day. And it comes from like mounding pressure of an overwhelming amount of work. And yep. I think without really managing your stress, you can get to a point where you're burned out. But I, I think for me, 
when I think about burnout, yes, to answer the first question, <laughs> I have experienced it. I experience it quite often, uh, to be honest. Right. Um, and the reason I think that I'm experiencing burnout at my level, whether it's my level as a director um, or a, an individual contributor, because you, you don't have to be the most engaged person to feel burnout. Right. No. You can also be somebody that's sitting there watching the clock of when is five o'clock going to hit. You can yeah. also feel burned out as well. But I, I think what triggered my burnout and what continues to trigger my burnout is something that is very simple. And I say it's very simple um, and I'm not paying attention to it consciously all the time, but I have all this stress from my job functionally in my corporate organization, but there's chronic stress and it is something that is continuous. And right. when I'm not managing that successfully, I ultimately and inevitably get burned out. Right. And a lot of things that play into that along the way are if I'm not properly prioritizing my workload, if I'm not creating a healthy no boundary, and I'll explain what that is. Yeah. Um, and then also I am onboarding things um, or work and I am not really doing enough, uh, enough work to understand exactly when to complete that work. So right. I think it's coming from number one, onboarding too much, right? Not prioritizing the things I do and not setting a healthy no boundary. And what I mean by the no boundary is that I'm the yes man, right? right. I'm the person that people come to and they say, hey, can you take this? Or they give you that instant gratification of telling you that you're an amazing resource at completing this work. Would you mind doing this extra thing? Oh, don't we love that recognition? Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, there's something special about it because when you're the person that everybody regards as reliable um, and loyal and the person that always ensures that all the deadlines are met on time, it's a confidence booster. Yes. And, and also when you're capable of holding all that information in your brain and you're such a great resource to people and you're happy to help when they ask for help and you don't blow them off or treat them like they're stupid or talk down to them. Mm -hmm. They're like, wow, you're amazing. Yeah, it, it it triggers that drive for that status, like you, you're capable, you're worthy, you're impact. So you get like this dopamine, yes. serotonin, sorry, serotonin rush, serotonin right? hit. because you get that status boost. And so people can play on that. But if you're not conscious of it, which I, I will tell you, it is very challenging to stay conscious of it, which is why, yes, I've experienced burnout. Yeah. I experience it quite continuously and, and, and I'm, I'm laughing, but it's not a funny matter because no, you're not alone though. Right. Robin, it's not healthy. Yeah. So many of us are doing this. And, you know, when we talk about this, actually in my course, we talk about it as far as, you know, when you have this certain, certain temperament type, your um, values are, are part of what puts you in this, in this space as a super type A mm -hmm. person, because you value responsibility, you value belonging, yeah. you want to be part 
of what's happening. And in fact, you'd love to be the leader. So putting you in that space where you're like, I, I will take all the responsibility, give me all the things because we collect them. We're collectors of responsibility. And then, like you said, we haven't mindfully thought about, well, what does this mean for me? Right. Well, because you're operating on pure grit, right? Like you, you don't really have time to, to reset or balance and all those feel good endorphins yeah. they start to taper off. So should the answer be no before? Yes. Should it always be? No, I can't do that. And then, well, wait a minute, I might be able to squeeze you in or should it be yes. And then letting someone down by saying no. I, I think it's, it's two pronged. It's a yes, but. <laughs> so, and, and I know, I know like number one, that's why I I'm, I'm saying, Oh, I I'm continuously experiencing it, but it's, it's a yes, but, and then create a boundary around yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it really is culture driven because whether or not you have the ability to say no, depends on the type of culture that you have in your corporate environment as well. So totally. that's why I say it's a yes, but yes. I can do this, but with my current workload, I will not be able to get to this task until X date and time. Right. Is that yes, okay? Yes, I am qualified, but mm -hmm. maybe there's Correct. someone else who has less things on their plate who is also qualified who could do this work. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree because what we tend to do is we tend, and I, I say we because I, I'm, I'm feeling that you're just like me. Um, we tend to take on and onboard that because we get those endorphin, um, you know, feelers that they give us when they come to us because they trust us. We have that status. Um, we feel confident enough to do it. But then at the same time, what you're not doing is creating that healthy no boundary because you can say, no, I don't have the ability to take this yeah. on. You give it to another team member who, to me, probably underserved. They're probably my peer and they're not doing exactly the same work that I'm doing or at the level of quality that I'm doing it. With oh, and let's, let's talk about that for a second, <laughs> because I think that's what happens um, to someone who's great at their job and is super type A, is great at having all of those balls in the air at the exact same time and somehow make it look effortless to everybody else. <laughs> And then people go, oh, she's great. She can take one more thing. She can do one more thing. And I mean, speaking from my experience, I have gotten into a position where there are four of us in the role, but somehow I'm doing 75% of the work. How did yeah. that happen? When did that come out in the wash wrong? You know, like, why isn't this balanced effectively? And is it because I'm happy to grab that responsibility or is it because I'm accountable to the final product? Yeah, I, what I what I like to call it, I think we other people have heard it. You probably have heard it too. It's performance punishment. Yeah. Um, you, you get all of the tough assignments. You get to be the firefighter. That's what I call myself sometimes. I'm the firefighter. You never know when yeah. you're going to be distracted or disrupted from the things that you're working on that really are your strategic priorities every single day because you're the person that people have a conscious bias to go yeah. to because you yeah. haven't set that no boundary, 
right? And because you continue to accept and onboard things, right? Because you're 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 pushing that feel good, right? You're pushing the 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 reward of saying, oh, you just keep taking more and more. I can always trust you. But people don't realize that it's a really heavy burden and you're not sharing the load. You're not developing the, the other person on the team who's not a high producer, right? So so then myself, who's the person that experiences this performance punishment, when I, I look at my peers who are doing 30% of the work I'm doing, right? right, And they get to go offline at five o'clock every day and go have dinner with their family. Then that's when I start to feel like, well, wait a minute, something, yeah. something's not right here. I'm right? being and taken so, advantage of here. Exactly. Because yeah. then, then you start to realize that there's some unequal task distribution here. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've been called in to be the fixer more often than I can ever possibly explain. I always got the most difficult customers. Oh, give it to Risha. She'll talk to them and smooth it all over. Give it to Risha. She doesn't mind dealing with the more difficult people. Give it to Risha and then maybe the customer will stay and they won't fire us. Yeah. I, I like oftentimes I feel my burnout that I've experienced, the root cause really is performance punishment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about, you know, creating that healthy no boundary and maybe you can do that. Maybe you can. It's really dependent on the corporate culture that you have because so true. there's, it's, it's not always so, so black and white where you've got an employee who may be senior leadership or executive leadership, they see potential in that person. So they'll give you such goals. Right. And in your mind, that could lead to a promotion. But then the opposite part of that is those people that continue to dump on you because right. either they're not doing their work or um, they've got some low performers and they're trying to balance productivity. And you, because you're the high producer, usually end up getting the rough end of the stick. Yeah. Which isn't fair. Right. Let's just mm -hmm. call it what it is. Not fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm bold enough to ask the question, like, are you bringing this project to me because you can rely on me and my experience, or is there someone else that maybe we can upscale, right. Yes. To take this to, so they can start doing this. And, and if you ever want to see the person you report to go, <laughs> then yes, you ask them in their shoes. Oh yes. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I've asked some tough questions when I worked in corporate. I, my favorite, I think I ever asked because I think, so like you said, this comes down to a culture conversation, right? And mm. for me in corporate space, it always made more sense to come to a people first corporate culture than a productivity first corporate culture. But then when I would make suggestions in an organization that swore up and down, they were all people first, <laughs> like maybe we should do four days on three days off, then three days on four days off. And they were like, what? I'm like, I'm just saying if people are really struggling with stress and you're saying we need full coverage and people are staying late and working extra hours. And especially when we start to talk about, you know, the bottom line and productivity. And so when it's quarter end or half end or year end, and you've got people staying till midnight and harassing people mm -hmm. to get sales in the door or things closed or get people to do their jobs right up until the last final seconds. How, how fruitful is that really? Wouldn't 
Like, wouldn't these sales just happen in the next day? And wouldn't, wouldn't. you know, so why does it matter? Why do we have to hustle like that? And then when I made the suggestion, how cool would it be if you had a redundant workforce? You have twice as many people right? You would Mm -hmm. likely be able to save on some level of salary. You wouldn't be paying people 120,000. You maybe be paying them a hundred, maybe 80, but they'd work half as much. They'd be way more balanced. They'd be way more efficient. You'd get, there's so much research and data to back this up. And then they look at you like you've grown a second head (laughs) right in front of them. No, it's because at the very basis, the very core of being a part of an organization, forget, forget what an organization says they are, right? Because that could be simple lip service, right? Yep. But at the very core of what corporations are is they are there for profit. Most of the time, if you're, unless you're working yeah. on profit and even then that, that can be like, don't even get me talking about that. Oh, it's a whole but, other, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But at the very core, they're for profit. And so every single thing comes down to the cost and the profit margin, right? Yeah. And 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 you can certainly try to create a culture of, you know, people first, but there's only so much you're going to do there, right? right? You're going to create a structure around people and to make sure that they have resources. But ultimately when it comes to like burnout and performance punishment, you're, that corporation is going to default to coping strategies and they're going to push those coping strategies to those oh, people. Yes. Like, oh, by the way, like uh, if, if you've got too much, then go use this mental health resource. Right. Right. And so that, that's a coping strategy. That's not a solution. It's not right? a lifestyle change. And that's it the problem. Not. It's not. And, I, and and to be honest, I'm I'm waiting for a corporation to do just that. Right. Yeah. I'm waiting to see like what corporate what corporate organization is going to be the first to take Who that can step. do it. Well, there's that guy in Seattle, right? There's that guy in Seattle that he cut his salary. He gave everybody a minimum salary that was like really reasonable. He also instituted all of these days, no limits to sick days. No, he added all this stuff. His company is, has grown monumentally within that time. And this was years ago, I want to say four or five years ago. Um, but what was amazing is he, he did a recent interview where he said, you know, my shareholders were panicked and said, I can't stay on for this. There's no way I'm staying on for this. You're going to crash and burn. And they've tripled their business because I think, you know, the everyday person. You know why though? Like, and and this is like, I'm not speaking from the hip. Studies have shown this. Organization, corporate organizations know this. We'll go back to what happened pre-pandemic. The yep. discussions about going fully remote for any organization was the sky is falling. There's no way this would ever work until you're put into the situation where you're forced to make that decision. And yeah. guess what? Companies saw during the pandemic and even post that they've been more productive. They're able to yeah. do more with less because why employees are happier. Yeah. It is proven that if you invest in your employee and you ensure that your employee is happy, that you're meeting their needs as an organization, that they are going to keep the customer happy with a quality customer experience. You have no and loyalty to go goes there. up. Loyalty goes Absolutely. up from customers and employees, right? So 
as an employee, I want to stay there. There's no better deal on the market, right? And as a customer, you know, your average Joe out there, you say, yeah, that's the kind of customer company I want to support. That's the kind of company I want to give my money to. That's the kind of company that is supporting me and my family and the employees and creating a culture that I, I can get to behind, right? Yeah. And yeah. so people vote with their dollar and that's not new. People have always done that. So if you can actually leverage that in a space where you're like, okay, I'm CEO of, you know, ABC Corp, whatever. And here's all of the ways we're going to put people first in this industry. I can't see how you wouldn't be successful. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it, it, it comes from like, like you, you talked about the, the guy in Seattle. I mean, that guy is not just progressive in his thought. But he also has passion for people and yes. needs to have an open heart and an open mind and willing to take that risk to lose investors, right? And and even other employees that just simply don't agree with the decision. But totally. you've got to be in this society unique to make that type of a move. I, I completely agree. But what's funny to me is that I'm seeing generations of people come up behind me who are demanding it. Yeah. So yeah. guess what? Whether you stick in the mud and you don't want to make that change, <laughs> well, it's coming. Whether you like it or not. And people are like, can't hire, can't find people. No one will work for me. Mm -hmm. No kidding. Mm -hmm. You know what? They've watched the generations ahead of them be tortured by work, work 80-hour weeks, have to stay right till closing, mm -hmm. you know, do the overnight shifts. Are you kidding me? You can't bring in new people for an overnight shift. Like, <laughs> get your head on straight. You know, that doesn't make any sense. You can't yeah. abuse employees into stressing themselves out, which then don't tell me that doesn't carry over into your home. Of course, of course it, does. it does. Yeah. So you're now I bringing all of that stress back to your place with your children, with your family, with your partner. That is going to have a ripple effect. But remember, they give you coping strategies. Right? <laughs> like, come on. Come oh, on. I forgot, Robin. I forgot. <laughs> but call this number. I mean, honestly, you've got to be kidding Take some time off, right? Come back and we're going to put those same unreasonable time pressures and that same unfair treatment and unmanageable workload right back in your plate. But you should be more cheery. And yeah. so it is a cycle. Yeah. And it is of abuse. It is as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. So it's just, it's unrealistic to yeah. think that an employee is going to be able to meet that within the constraints of having a healthy personal life. So your life becomes work. Well, and, and this is that another problem. So when we mm -hmm. start to define ourselves by our jobs, by the role that we do, what happens when that doesn't exist anymore? What oh, happens man. when there's mass layoffs and I lose my job and I've identified myself as the director of whatever, and that's who I am as a person. And mm -hmm. now I don't have that to cling to. And I've, mm -hmm. I'm now left lost floating in this abyss of what am I connecting to? And I mean, that's a lot of where my job comes into play. I have a program called um, lead without permission and it was born from this experience, you know, I quit my corporate job and people were like, so what do you do? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I'm a lady who lunches. 
And people were like, what's that? And I'm like, I'm not entirely sure yet. Mm. You know, if I'm being honest, I don't know. I don't know what I do right now. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm passionate about at the moment because my goal was really just make money to pay for the things I need. But that's and what society conditions you to, to be, right? Agreed. Like that, that is the, that is how you're conditioned, but you make, you made a, a comment about the generations that are coming behind us. Their standards are different. Their outlook is different. So much higher. They want the balance. They need work-life balance. They want to identify themselves by their values, by their priorities, not by their job, not Mm -hmm. by where they live, not by how they commute to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I remember working in a corporate space and there was this guy who would commute his commute in a day was three and a half hours all told. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's depressing. How much time are you not getting with your family? How much time are you not getting? Because this job paid so much more because of where it was located and the kind of work that it was, than he could have gotten in the vicinity of where he was living, Hmm. you know, and working frankly at an IT company that touted everyone should go remote, but wouldn't let most of their workers go remote. So how hilarious Hmm. is that? Right. So then yeah, that's a trust. That was a pre pandemic trust issue. Right. with With their employees. Which is an ongoing problem, I think, at organizations. You know, Mm. I don't want to trust you to do the job. I I recognize that you can get bit, but there's a certain level of if I trust you and I give you the gift of that responsibility, that gives you the opportunity to rise to it. But isn't that what, isn't that what like leaders are for, right? Managers in the organization to manage their people, to ensure that they're showing up, right? You trusted me to put me in this position. Now you will not trust me to do my job. Oh, it's incredible to me. And frankly, like, don't get me started on middle management positions because so many people get into these roles because they're amazing at their job, but it doesn't mean they're great managers. You cannot justify making someone a people leader. Like I'll say manager and we'll separate manager from leader because they're, those are two different flavors. Yeah. You can't justify someone being skilled to be a people leader because they're a high performer. That does not equal quality people leadership. But it they're not the same thing. All the time. It is. It does. Rampant. It's, they, because or, organizations think it's organic promotion yeah. that, oh, you do this job really well, you could manage this team. Yeah. But organically, you become a leader when in, in all actuality, it's why a lot of people fail in the organization at being successful because I agree. they have four people leaders in place. Well, and don't understand their skills and their strengths, right? If you mm-hmm. are an incredible salespeople, why would I take you out of the sales force? If you mm-hmm. are an incredible people leader, but maybe not a great salesperson, Shouldn't you be leading people? Shouldn't I see and recognize that skill in you and say, hey, actually, I know exactly where you belong. Yeah. But then they're like, yeah, but they're not excelling at their job, so we can't promote them. Or can we? Because they're such a better fit. But but that, that to me is a fundamental issue with proper people leadership. Proper people leadership 
doesn't just ensure that that person is meeting their goals in their role, but they're developing that person. It's, It's about growth. And it's about scalability and it's about ensuring that you're positioning them for their future. Like you cannot be a people leader without a passion for people and growth of people. If you're yes. becoming a people leader because you want to, you know, be in control and I want to tell you you're not doing your job and this is what you need to do and you want to delegate and kick your feet up, that's not what people leadership is. Well, and it's not going to serve you long term either. Like that's yeah. how. That's how the whole house of cards come crumbling down, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how that that happens is we see these people who are more interested in a title or interested in the power or instead of really passionate about developing and leading people. And honestly, there's so many of those people out there who are really passionate about developing and leading people and they're not going to be your high performers. I'll tell you that for me being, and and I, there've been times where I've stepped back from being a people leader because I simply didn't have the energy, but I'll tell you for me, what I see as success being a people leader is to look back on the year and see every one of my team members be successful in their roles because I've helped them move blockers and challenges, but I also had them focus on career development beyond that role to build new skills, to make sure that they were having an understanding of what their passion is, what they're driving toward long-term, even if it's not in that current organization, but to look back and see they've hit their goals, they've been successful, and to have two one to two people get promoted out of my team into management. That's a win. Leadership. That is, that's what I would call successful because that means I've invested myself and my energy into those people without yeah. any look for myself to get any rewards. I'm not looking for that. I don't care yeah. if I don't get recognized. It's about my people being successful and growing themselves. That's well, true. Then you are say. a gem, Robin. Yeah, that's <laughs> Because finding people who are that passionate you know, I was always that passionate. And what followed that passion was accusation. Uh, you're too intense. Hmm. You're too invested. You're well, too- that's because you're a woman. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> and let's start talking about that. I mean, <laughs> honestly, don't get me started. This is part of the conversation we have in Lead Without Permission is that Leadership skills for the longest time have been framed as these are masculine energy or masculine traits that you have to emulate to be Mm -hmm. a leader. And Mm -hmm. here are some feminine traits that like, please don't bring it to the table. It's thought as weak or it's thought as it's actually going to pull focus away from what would make you successful. And those traits can be, you know, your emotional or your you're passionate, or you have empathy. God forbid you should come into a corporate space with empathy. Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. And now when I look at that, those traits and what we talk about in Lead Without Permission is please, please come to the leadership table with those traits. Please let's start reframing those traits as extremely important in people leadership. Because without empathy, we abuse people and let them go through that cycle. We let them go through that cycle of burnout over and over and over again because it makes no difference to us. 
Yeah, it, it's it's about having a priority of being human yeah. and giving the people in your workforce the autonomy and the space they need to be human. And I'll tell you, I I had I've had a couple of of people on my team like this over the years. Um, you know, being in leadership for a while, I've I've seen a manager come to me and cry from the stress of having to have a difficult conversation with an employee. And I've had other people in the circle go, "Well, she's just not she's not going to cut it." Because you have an emotional response. But remember, we're human. We're not robots. And when you you show up to work and you're fully human, right, and you're vulnerable, those are the kind of people I want on my team. Those are the kind of people that, to me, create positive experiences with customers. Because you're not coming to a customer in a robotic transactional way. Right. And and it's not ulterior motives. Exactly. You're not coming at the customer saying like, what I'm going to get out of you is money and recognition. You're coming to the customer because you actually have empathy for where they are and what they do and you want to help them. Yeah. You, you, you've got to be a leader who as, and I keep saying leader because manager is completely different and I don't buy into management. Right. Like I, I like that's not it's not a term that I, I I love or or even like to use. But when you are a true leader, you are vulnerable. You're human. You give your people the space to be human, and it's okay to have emotional responses because we get to show up as humans. Doing and I think the also. Job we get to make mistakes. We then have oh. to be accountable for them, but we get to make mistakes. We get to learn through failure. We get to not say, this is your third shot. Now you're out of here. It's what aren't you learning? What aren't you learning that I can help you learn to make you successful in this role instead of, well, you know, it's a three strikes are out. Three strikes are warned. I'd be very concerned if my team weren't making mistakes. Number one, I I would be concerned that they're not giving me a full understanding of everything that they're doing. But the second thing would be, I'd be concerned because they're not learning because without failure, there's not a lot of growth, no. right? And that learned experience from a mistake or from a failure is not just for that person, but for their peers too, because you get to share in that. Oh yeah. Right? I, I'm going to tell you, I would not have gotten to the place I am without failing hundreds of times, Same. miserably, like taking down customer networks, not, <laughs> not on purpose. Like it was, yep. it was an accident, right? Something I just didn't know. Taking down customer networks, staying up 36 hours straight to get it back online. I'll yeah. never do that again. Yeah. But those are the kind of failures that give you the learned experience that you could share with other people, but it exalts you to another level. Yeah, of course. Right. And that's the thing when we learn through failure, I mean, gosh, how many times I thought I knew better and then learned better <laughs> and then did better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the progression folks. Right. Yeah. So if we're not going to buy into it and this is part of the problem, I think when we're super type a making mistakes is terrifying. Doing something wrong is terrifying. Not, not, being perfect or seen as being perfect is anxiety inducing 
right? And we have to give ourselves so much more grace. We're all human. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to misstep. You're going to stick your foot so far down your throat. I guarantee it. I guarantee you're going to do it. You're going to say something wrong. You're going to do something wrong. The the beauty and the learning is in the accountability. But you you have to be able to, to onboard that fear. And I'm going to tell you just a week or two ago, I, I'm going to be fully genuine and vulnerable right here, right now, and say transparently, just less than two weeks ago, I went through the same thing. I thought about doing something. And I went over it in my head for days. I put an immense amount of stress on myself thinking about the ins and outs. I made a decision tree for goodness sakes, because I was thinking about the, what if, if I do this and really the ultimate question that I ended up having to ask myself is if I do this and I fail, so, so what was that people will perceive me in a certain way, they will look at me and my brand will be negatively influenced. They'll think I'm not capable. They'll right. think that I, I can't do my job. They'll think I've lost the ability to perform at this level. And then I said to myself, do those people's thoughts have any bearing on your actual ability? And the answer is no. Okay. No. If the answer is no, then so what? Yeah. Are you really going to know what these people are going to say or think about you? And is it going to have an effect on how you move about your life? No. Okay, then so what? So I had to keep asking myself. You have to keep asking, so, so what? what? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about this a lot in my practice around storytelling. We've invented how people are going to react. We've told this story that doesn't exist in fact or real life. Mm-hmm. And it it snowballs, right? You go down, down, down that rabbit hole. It's awful. You're you're circling the drain yeah. where you're telling the story and it's getting more and more heightened and full of anxiety. And here's all the bad things that are gonna happen if I take this risk. And you know, similar to you, I will ask the so what, but I'll also say on the flip side of it, if I do it, what are the rewards? What, mm-hmm. what do I get if this goes exactly how I see it going? Mm-hmm. What if I succeed? What does that look like? How cool could that be? Wow, that went really fast. I hope you enjoyed part one with Robin Simpkins. As you can tell, we're both very passionate on this topic. I hope you decide to join us for part two. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit www.yorkmotivational.com for more information on my super type A attempt at being Zen, the coaching program, lead without permission, or visit our contact page to reach out to Risha. Wishing you all continued balance and fulfillment on your road to Zen.